and the way we perceive and the lens. We see circumstances, things in life that we faced. And I believe that it's just something the Lord's been challenging me on and inviting me into a greater vantage point, a greater level of perspective, a greater place of seeing the way he sees, an invitation into the heart of God. I mean, it's an amazing thing that we have, and I just feel so grateful. I mean, there's so many things this morning, and I think that stem with perspective is gratefulness and what we're seeing in life and what we're giving credit to. I mean, we are so privileged. We become so used to it in the day in and day out, being able to live in America, right? So privileged, the life that we live, the hardest days that we've had, having steady meals, steady clothing, steady shelter, things that we take for granted that the majority of the world don't know how it's going to come the next day. That's an amazing thing. And it's something that I believe that we need to allow our hearts to identify with. Right? Does that, that seem right to you guys? Amen. And I believe that there's a place that we can recognize daily and cultivate within our hearts daily an understanding of the position that we've been given, not only circumstantially by God, but also kingdom-minded in the place that we have an inheritance as sons and daughters, our calling, our inheritance, our vocation, that not only is it about here and now and about a 50, 60, 80 year lifespan, but it's about an eternal kingdom that we're a part of. Aren't you guys happy that this isn't about a good idea, that Jesus isn't a good principle? I mean, come on. Isn't it amazing when we start to think about some of the scriptures that are so crazy in this Bible, like Daniel chapter 7 and the throne room experience for Daniel? Revelation 7, 3, the throwing experience of John. It, it blows my mind because I realize in those moments how familiar I get with the testimony of who Jesus is. And last night as Daryl and Will and Izzy were leading worship, I started to encounter the greatness of God in such a slight way. Even though it felt powerful to me, I know that he's so vast, that he's so big, that it was just a little more glimpse and my heart was starting to erupt with this theme, like God, there's so much more. God, there's so much more for us. God, this is real. Yeah, for real. This is a real reality. You know, we were, I read out of Isaiah chapter 9. It's not even about what the scripture is about, but I feel like it's something that can just start to set something in motion within our hearts that's valuable. And Isaiah 9 talks about a, a throne that won't be shaken, a kingdom that goes from everlasting to everlasting. There's something we're giving our lives to as God's people that isn't temporal. It's not about just us getting by day to day or scraping through the season of struggle and hardship. And I feel like there's an invitation this morning that God wants to bring us into a greater place of perspective in life so we're not so much about the here and now, but that we're engaging the eternal revelation of the kingdom of God advancing in the earth and God preparing a bride in the earth for his coming. Amen? And I feel like that with fear and trembling, whatever that means, that we need to give our hearts to that place. My wife knows me. Right before I went up here, she gave me a bottle of water. So I just want to pray again. Let's open our hands. This is something I've been praying all week, but I want to pray it with us in the room. Father, 
our hearts are before you. God, we desire to be a people that partner with you for real. God, we, de- we desire here, God, in this city, God, for, for you to be able to express yourself freely, God, and not to be hindered. Father, we are hungry for the manifestation of your kingdom. Father, we see need in our generation, God, and we, we just don't know, just simple words, God. We want you to come, Lord. We see that you are the remedy, God, that you are the answer to the heart cry of this generation. And, Father, we have a glimpse and a small revelation of that, but, God, we simply put it in a prayer form and say, God, would you come? God, would you expose yourself? Would you reveal yourself for who you are, God? Would you use weak vessels, God? Would you use us in our lives, our little short spans, God? God, in all our pride and all our arrogance, Father, I pray that, Lord, you would just acquaint our hearts again with the greatness of who you are, God, with the majesty, the eternal value of who you are, Jesus, and that, Lord, just an aligning, a shifting today, God, concerning seasons that you bring us into, that we would see rightly and we would define and discern our seasons correctly. God, I just stand against every hindrance in the name of Jesus to this word this morning. We just bind every hindrance, every obstacle, every oppression, every false word, every false identity that would try to resist, every past wound, everything of the soul that would try to rise up and cap ears or eyes to the knowledge of God in this message. Lord, in my own heart, God, we need to encounter you. And Father, we just say, here we are, we're responding to you in Jesus' name, amen. I feel like it's a simple message, guys. I wrote some stuff down. I don't know. Notes can find me a lot of times. I'm just going to read. I'm going to do a lot of reading. I've got like four or five pages of notes here. But I'm just going to try. We're just asking the Lord just to touch our hearts because it's not about preaching because you guys have heard this message before. You've probably heard it in better ways and, and more, more, you know, brilliant ways to, to bring it about with you know, whatever. <laughs> this isn't going to be the best message you ever heard, but I believe that If you allow God to speak to your hearts, this could literally stamp our hearts with something with eternal value. Man, I feel like I keep praying. Maybe it's because we're part of a house of prayer, but. Oh, there's just a groan in me. And this, this whole message is about discerning and defining your season. Understanding the season that God has you in so that you can rightly discern what you're going through. And then also rightly discern how you ought to walk in it. Because different seasons will bring different uh, results or different seasons will bring about different reactions and will expose different motives and reveal different areas in our life. And they're intentional. You know, thank God that they're intentional, that this is who he is. Six, seven million people on the earth, he's intentional. His eyes are upon us as his children and he's looking with fire. He's looking with, with zeal, it says, it says the zeal of the Lord is going to bring about what Isaiah was saying in, in chapter 9, this, this child being presented in the government of God resting upon him. He said that the zeal of God was going to bring about his inheritance, and that's us. You know what? It's not all about us. We make Christianity so often, I make Christianity so often about me, and I believe that's because of the kindness of God. He's so involved in us. There's value in stepping back and seeing the bigger picture, and I hope that's what's uh, transferred today. And I believe the more we walk with God, the more we recognize 
that he leads us through different seasons in life. If you've been walking with God for any period of time in your life, you realize this, there's, there's defining seasons, right? Does anyone relate to that? Where you feel like there's starts and ends to different times in your life and they almost come as quick and come as go, they, they go as quickly as they came. And today I want to talk about valuing the season you're in, regardless of how difficult it is, because we're going to go into the seasons of testing today. When I was looking, I don't know why I'm emotional, man. 35, I was looking, there was about 35 verses that specifically talk about uh, Jesus' involvement in seasons in our life and the changing in, in seasons in our life. His involvement in leading us and directing us in every phase of life. His specific involvement with us. Daniel chapter 2 verses 21 is a clear one. It says, it is he who changes the times and the seasons of life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, let's open up there real quick. For sake of time, I'm just going to read these two here. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says, A time for everything. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth, and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot what is planted. There is a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh and a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones, a time to gather stones. There's a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up what is lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What profit is there for a worker that which is which toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men, which then to occupy themselves. There's many seasons in life, and we get so caught up in certain aspects of God, it's usually because we come out of heightened seasons of God's involvement in certain, some certain aspects of his character. Right? Affirmation, words of value, where God's prophetically speaking inheritance and destiny. Everywhere you go, there's prophetic words happening. Every time you open the Bible, there's heightened levels of just enlightenment of Scripture and what God's speaking to you. And those seasons are amazing where you're walking with God and you feel like nothing can break it up. Where even declarations would come out of my life saying, God, oh, I see how I came out of seasons like this before, but I'm never coming out of this season. God, this is what you have for me all the time, to just walk in the cool of the day, and everything's going perfect. This is my inheritance. This is what you call me to. God's so merciful and patient, kind. He just keeps it going. He's like, all right, man. Of course you haven't learned yet, but there is a purpose in the heart of God, a very intentional, strategic purpose in the heart of God with every season that we go through. And it's okay to embrace seasons of testing and difficulty. I want to get into a little bit. I want to read, the more we surrender to Jesus' lordship in our life, the more we grow in maturity and we access more grace to see rightly in the situation. Doesn't mean everything's going to change, but it means the more we surrender to the lordship of God, saying it's not about me, it's about you, the more we access the grace of God to see rightly and to walk in a manner worthy of the calling when all hell is breaking loose against you. 
A key to remembering is that there is a start and a finish to every season. Because there are seasons that are so difficult for the soul. And that's such a simple truth, but that's something that should be meditated on. Because there's some real uh, healing to the heart in that one statement. There is a start and there is an end to every season with God. This will only last for a night. There is a purpose. Not only, sometimes it will be to break you. But it's not only that, it's to make you. It's to develop you and strengthen you into the stature and calling which he's called you to. Another key is to embrace the season that you're in, even if it is a place of not understanding its its purpose initially. We can recognize, especially in seasons of testing and hardship, that it's very difficult to understand what the value is that could come out of hardship against our soul. When there's accusation or where there's wounding or where there's uh, people feeling your expectations or difficulties that are happening or provisions not coming like you feel like it should come or things aren't happening in the timing that you feel like it should come, those times are very difficult, but there's a place in maturity, especially a lot of us are younger. I'm learning that this is a very intentional place we have to have in our heart where we have to develop this dependency upon God. And I believe that a lot of times it's about dependence. It's about breaking us away from all the things that we set up in our own ability to live life, in our own ability to make things happen. Like when something's, we'll stick to the the promises of God. God's spoken something and you see it and it's so real and it's so alive because when he speaks, that's what happened. It fills our soul with life and with hope. But it seems like the furthest thing from the truth. It seems like it's so far distance in these seasons of testing. But there is a process that God's doing within our heart that's preparing us to be of the stature and maturity to walk out in, in, in stewardship that promise that he's, he's giving us. There's something he's looking to ingrain within us. There's a resolve and a maturity that he's looking to instill within us that would steward rightly these things of God. Amen? Seasons of testing typically come directly after times of increased encounters and prophetic declaration over your life in words and dreams. I know from my life that's, that, that rings so true with me, that I've gone through times where I feel like there's explosion of very clear vision and dreams and, and, and um, prophetic declaration of what is mine to apprehend and walk in in the future. And a lot of times it blinds me because I feel like it's so real, I feel like it's supposed to happen like this. It's like, oh my God, God, you're ready to do that tomorrow. But the reality is no, is he's giving you something that you can hold on to so when the fire comes upon your life and everything's shaken, you can stand firm and know that the voice of God was true. And that he is after even the deep places of your heart. He's after the places that you haven't wanted to let go for 10, 20, 30 years. Things that nobody knows about. Things that have repercussions even to this day in fruit. I know I talked about this last time I preached, but I feel like it's a very real thing. I feel like if we don't deal with certain areas in our life and we just kind of push them down, and feel like if we just cover them up and we just keep putting band-aids, band-aids and band-aids over them every time, we feel any bit of the pain from that experience or from that situation, it never gets dealt with. And it starts to have residual effects in offense or bitterness towards different people or different situations. And a lot of times we don't even understand what the root cause is because it's so buried. 
But it's the, the mercy of God to bring us through these seasons to reveal some of these deeper places within our hearts so that we can have healing and so that we can walk as we, as we ought to walk. Jesus, I think it's, it's, it's shown in his, his life. It's in the beginning he was baptized. Who knows what happened when he was baptized? The Holy Spirit descended. John the Baptist was baptized and everybody wasn't happening, I don't think. We don't hear about it anywhere else. But God spoke from heaven, audible voice, out of the clouds. I'm feeling Jesus felt pretty good about that. My son, in whom I'm well pleased, an endorsement, an affirmation to the calling that he knew. It said, since the very foundations of the earth was laid, Christ was portrayed crucified. Jesus knew his inheritance. He knew his calling. He knew to the cross and to death. And this was an affirmation that he was right where he was supposed to be in the calling of God. But what happened right after that? It's a scripture that kind of blows my mind a little bit. It said, and Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tested. God leads us into times of testing. And it's for our good. God leads us into times of testing. And it's for our good. Something that's powerful about it, you know, Jesus, I feel it's like just another little fulfillment Jesus had was 40 days. He was in and out of that desert. He went through his time of testing. He didn't give in. Give in. The devil said, you know, you bow to me and I will give you the, the nations as an inheritance. He was, he was giving Jesus something prematurely. He's basically saying, Jesus, you can just bow to me now and I will give you everything you see as an inheritance. They will bow and they will worship you. And all you can bypass the suffering of the cross, basically. You can have inheritance now. Just, just, just come out, come out of process now. And sometimes we see that in our life. We see an easy way out of the hardship by making something happen in our own strength, or, 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 or surrendering into sin, or giving into our own lusts, or giving into our own desires. The quick way out, the easy way out. But God's saying there's so much more. Stand the test. Guess what? It's not only about right now. There's an eternal value that's taking place in your heart. There's an eternal way to glory that's actually you're gaining for yourself as you go through afflictions and trouble. That's the scripture Paul says. Everything that you face in life, as you surrender to the lordship of God, of Jesus, and you and you give your life, it's not just some, oh, yeah, that's, that's nice. It's true that God, there's a reward system, the beam of seat of Christ, where in heaven he is preparing a place for you. Eternity, never ending. It says his throne will never be shaken. It says it's from everlasting from to everlasting. His throne. Men, kings, come and go, but God's kingdom is from everlasting to everlasting. You're a part of this thing. It's real. There's a move. It's so exciting. Guess what? There's something taking place across the whole earth. The body of Christ is rising up. There's a call from heaven to the sons and daughters, and there is a response that's happening right now in the earth. There is a move of unprecedented prayer and fasting, an unprecedented move of dependency upon God. And I believe it's moving the heart of God right now. And I believe that we're on the cusp of an unprecedented move of God in our generation. I believe it burns so deep within me. Ever since I got saved a few years ago, coming out of addiction, coming out of so much craziness, the first things that God was speaking to my heart is there's a revival coming. There's, there's a move of my spirit that's going to come that's going to shake things up. It's going to be tandem with, with great calamity. It's going to be tandem with great up 
upheaval in, in, your, in your generation, and you're going to see this. But there is going to be a people, a remnant that will cleave to me, that will represent me, that will respond to me. And I tell you guys, these situations that we're going through now, they are preparing you to stand, to be an unwavering people. If you give yourself to it, this is not a game. This is not a good concept. There is a stability. There is a fortitude, a backbone of steel that God is creating with the body of Christ. That in the moment of great upheaval, that they would represent the love of God rightly. And that there would be a great awakening in the earth as a result. That's us. It's so much more than when you leave here, what you're going to do. Now, all these things are important. The things he's calling you to, school and work and family and all this stuff, is to be treasured and stewarded and treated rightly. But there's something so much larger going on that you're a part of. And you can be so excited about that. There is a kingdom. There is a kingdom being established in the earth. God is coming back. His eyes are going to be burning and his leg is going to be wrapped with the word faithfulness. He's coming. It's true. It's true. His kingdom is from everlasting to everlasting. He was baptized. He heard the voice. He was sent directly into testing. He overcame. Those 40 days, the Israelites, they bickered. Every time they were tested in the wilderness, they, they, they complained. They ran. They didn't trust. They saw the moves of God. He was consistently showing himself faithful by extreme acts of uh, power and demonstration to show his faithfulness. But they continued just to run. Around. And you know what? Their walk into the promised land from Egypt was a 40-day journey. Isn't that crazy? Forty years they wandered around in the wilderness, and, and as a result, uh, it all came down like I preached the last time, got to the border of the promised land, and they didn't inherit. A, a remnant did. A remnant that believed, a remnant went in and, and inherited. Don't be that remnant, right? Let's be the remnant that believes in, 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 in um, a remnant that believes and partners with the heart of God powerful thing too I love when I see it just a side note is that when Jesus went into the desert he, he it said he, he was led into the desert by the spirit right and then said when he left he said does anyone know what it said he left in the power I love how they he just sneaks that word in there he leaves in the power in the place of overcoming right in hardship where he's not eating he's being tempted he's he's all these things his God's being put to test He's getting the easy way out. He didn't say, Satan, you can't offer this to me. And it says he leaves in the power of the Spirit. And you know what happened after that? Anybody else? In the back. <laughs> he went and performed his first miracle. His ministry opened up. Demonstration. Guys, you go through trials. We go through testings. They're not for nothing. They're posturing your heart in a place of dependency so that we would walk in that place even when everything gets amazing. Even when we speak and people get healed. You know, we want the posture of humility to be so ingrained and so rooted within us that when we lay a hand on a dead person and they come alive, that we don't take credit for that. Why not, though, right? The mind that just said, come on, raising the dead, why not? If, if we're here and we believe who God is, why not? If God has healed and, and delivered and raised people from the dead, and people are testifying that now, why not now? Why wouldn't God heal and raise from the dead? I don't know. I don't know why not, but 
I'm believing. I don't, you know, I'm just, I'm believing for it. <laughs> he went through process. He overcame. He stayed focused. He came out in power, and his ministry began. And another powerful just side note, I'm on this train, is that Jesus, a mark of his life is he withdrew constantly to the wilderness in the pinnacles of his ministry. When 4,000 people, I mean, this guy, he doesn't do what we would do. He, 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 he has 5,000 people, whatever, getting fed miraculously with no food and all this food's left over. You guys know the story. And then he gives, well, two things he does that's crazy. He gives them the hardest message that they've ever heard. He said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will not inherit the kingdom. The crazy thing to me is he didn't try to explain it after. (laughs) I mean, we're in the midst of little pockets of awakening and little pockets of tons of people starting to come through the door. He waited till the most people in the history of his life on earth was following him to give him the hardest message. I mean, God is concerned about the heart. He's not concerned about the numbers. He's not concerned. He, there's, a, there's a remnant. There's a remnant. And you're here because you're part of that. I'm here because I'm part of that because it's so much more than what we think. Life, there's so much more. And the invitation is saying, come up here. Come up here. Come up now. Those who have clean hands and a pure heart, come up here. If you obey me, if you love me, on John 15, the fruit of loving God is obeying him. Uh, he withdrew, and I think it's, it's something that we should, should, we should recognize that in his life, he constantly withdrew to the place. He actually says he withdrew to the desert. He withdrew to the wilderness. And he said he didn't do anything on his own accord. He did what the Father led him in to do. And it shows that in times where we wouldn't expect it, that there are times where God's going to call us into uh, times of soul searching and times of, uh, I don't want to use the word seclusion because I feel like that can turn into being a problem. Uh, but, a, but a time of separating yourself from the busyness of life and the, and the, the bounty in, of, of ministry and um, saying, God, you know, I'm just here to realign my heart. And, you know, Bethany preached a concept I had never heard. It was awesome. Philip, out of, out of Acts, uh, they were in the height of awakening. 3,000 people got added. Uh, there were signs and wonders. There was so much taking place in the, the, the early church, right? And, and Philip, it said he was led, and he left. What a, I, wish I, could, I wish I could say it as good as you. <laughs> she... Uh, um, yeah, Philip literally was led out into the desert, and he ended up le- leading this one man to the Lord, the eunuch out there. He heard of the guy pre- reading out of Isaiah, and then explained it to him. The guy got saved and baptized. But the amazing thing is, is that Philip listened. His posture in the heightened place of, wow, look what's happening from my ministry. Look what's happening from my life, that when Jesus whispered to him, the Holy Spirit whispered to him, said, okay, I've got this one man. I want you to go. He didn't say, well, that's not the Holy Spirit. But he knew God's voice. His heart was postured right, and he went. And this is just about what it is. It's, it's about his ways being above ours and, and us just being children and saying, whatever you want to do, God, we don't got it. But we know you have it. Yes. Come on. Turn up. Come on. Turn up. Turn up. Come on.
You got some real talk up in here, Shalita. Uh, Mark, let's let's open up. We should get some Bible in here. Mark chapter eight. <laughs> God's after us. He's so good to us. He's after our hearts. I just want to read this. Mark chapter eight, verse thirty-one to th- through thirty-eight. Mark 8.31. Thank you. You good? And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, this is Jesus, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he was stating that matter plainly, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He's got guys out of his mind. I mean, he he saw something in Peter. I mean, he sees something in us, right? Oh, my God. He started rebuking the man. He seen raised Lazarus from the dead, Mount Transfiguration, feeding the 5,000. He rebukes this guy. He's like, I don't know. He's gone. (laughs) I mean, I've done some things. I've talked back to God about, I mean, rebuking God? Like, come on. Anyway, sorry, That's just don't do that. He was staying the man, Peter, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Man, man, that's crazy. It's the first time I've ever seen that. He rebuked, he rebuked Jesus. I can't wait to get to heaven. You guys, put that on your to-do list. How'd that go for you that time you rebuked Jesus? <laughs> right? But turning around and seeing his disciples, Jesus is like, oh, man, Peter, I could, you know, one-on-one, I could, like, gently, but I'm not going to, in front of everybody, no way. He rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests but man. The idea was Peter, the idea for Peter was this. There was something about Peter, and the, the reality of Peter was this. He had such deep devotion to who Jesus was. He had laid down his life for him. He had given everything that he had for him. And, and he did not, couldn't believe that the Son of God, that this is the way it had to go down. But Jesus goes into this statement and says, your mind is not on the things of God. And that's a warning to us, for real, about how we're distinguishing our seasons. How we're defining our seasons, like how we're breaking them down in our mind. And then it said, as he summoned the crowd with the disciple and said to him, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. So he basically takes it from, this is what I got to go through, but guess what? You're going to go through the same thing. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet, but they knew what that was. And follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life, will lose it. If you wish to make this life all about you, all about me, 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 you will lose it. In a blink of an eye, it will be done, and you have nothing to stand for at the end of your life. What will it be said of, the, of you at the end of your life? It's a good question to ask yourselves. What, what will it be said? 
by the people who know you best. The beautiful thing is, is the reality that God is a redemptive God and he's a God that restores time. So if you find yourself feeling super convicted, good. Because that means you're at least acknowledging that that's where you're at. So that's like no self-deception. That's, that's great. It's like he said, the lukewarm he's spewing out of his mouth because they're self-deceived. They think they're doing okay, but they're completely blind and they're doing their own thing. But if you're convicted and you're saying, man, everything is about me, there's hope because there's repentance and there's realignment and God restoring and not only restoring, using your life as a declaration to your generation that there is a God and he's real. He said, you must... He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. Wow. I was telling Daryl the other day, yesterday, you don't hear that much that Jesus says that. But he does. There is an invitation, and the invitation is to die. You know, the promises of God aren't cheap. And they're not, there's no shortcut into them. There's invitation and there's a promise of inheritance and salvation. There's an eternal promise, but there's also uh, this age promises from God for you guys to walk in, for me to walk in. There's a promise that he'll never leave you. There's a promise he'll never forsake you. There's no promise, we're actually going to read it, a couple scriptures that specifically say there's no promise that everything's going to be great if you walk with God. Prosperity gospel. There's nothing. It actually says the opposite. You're going to face trials. You're going to face hardship. But I will be with you. My grace is sufficient for you. Jesus in the garden knew there was no other way to. And he actually asked three different times. He said, you know, Father, if there is any other way. I mean, he knew there wasn't any other way, right? He'd been, he just spoke. Uh, in Matthew 8, we just read there where he said, I'm going to die and then I'm going to rise again. Like I said earlier, the, the cross was portrayed, he was, he was portrayed crucified since the beginning. He knew his, the pressure was so great. Jesus didn't have some imaginary thing. He can identify with us in our weakness, Hebrew 4 says, because he's been through what we go through. So he's approachable, he's understanding, and he's also super compassionate and desires to give mercy in the time of need. He actually got to the point of such intense pressure in that moment. He asked something he knew the answer to already. And he asked it three times. He said, if you can take this cup, take it from me. But the most important thing is, he said, not my will, but yours be done. God, I know you're the God of the impossible, but I'm, 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 even in that, I'm depending on you. It's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, our God will deliver us. What's the next words? Anyone know? But... But even if he doesn't, come on, that's powerful. I mean, it's, our God will deliver us. Declaration, no lack of faith in that statement at all. But even if he doesn't, we are not bowing. Jesus saying the same type of thing.
Paul with the thorn in the flesh three times. He, we don't know what the, th- the thorn was, but he's, three times he asked the, the Father to take it, Jesus, take it from him. And then Jesus finally responds to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. That's, that's something that goes beyond the way I, I try to grasp certain things about God. Right? So, God, I'm having this struggle. Take it from me. No, but I will give you grace. I'll give you strength to walk through it. That's the access. God is developing within us. His ways are not our ways. He sees far beyond what we see. It says he knows the end from the beginning. He knows certain things that funnel us and channel us and develop us into the the people of who we need to be and where we need to be, right? And hardship is one of those things that he will allow to bring us into that full level of maturity. James chapter 2 says, consider it pure joy when you face these trials of many kinds because they're developing in you a maturity and a completion to your faith. God is after your heart. There's a choice to either believe it and run with it or to not. And put your fist at God like so many generations have done in the past. That will get you only to one place. And I'm not even going to go there and it doesn't even matter. The reality is there's invitation into the right posture before God. And he doesn't leave you there just to say, scrape by and I'll meet you eventually. He's there with you. There is grace. And the seasons are opportunity to grow in maturity and and uh, stewardship, James 1, 2, and then Romans 5. Let's read that, Romans 5, 1 through 5. Romans 5, chapter 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, Wait a minute. Give me one second here. Yeah, we'll read this one first. Yeah, Romans 5, sorry, 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into his grace in which we will stand and we will exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance and perseverance proven character, proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, just because from the pulpit of America you hear prosperity gospel about everything being perfect if you walk with God, does not mean it's true. If, if your faith is not rooted and founded and standing on this, then you're going to go after everything that, that makes you feel good. Right? So as a young generation where there's so much after our attention, I encourage you to set half an hour a day, this is just a side practical, and just getting in the Bible. Start reading the New Testament. Don't overwhelm yourself. <laughs> Read a half hour a day. And, and grow. God will start to encounter you through his word. And it will start to change your life. And you will start to experience different places in God that you've never experienced before. And uh, I promise you that. This word is life and it's grace. And it's also wisdom in how to discern uh, things that are going on around you. 
And I wanted to read uh, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13 real quick. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you from your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on your rejoicing, so that also the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory in God rests in you. Make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. He's saying, basically saying there's two types of suffering. One is going to be a repercussion of your sin, right? And then one is going to be a suffering for, for doing the right thing. Christian is not to be ashamed but to glorify God. For it is the time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And it, and it begins with us first. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? I think it's clear by this point, that there is trials that you will face. And you guys know that already, but, you know, just wanted you to know that, that God sees and God knows. Like, you guys know because it happens, right? Who's actually in a season of testing right now? You're, you're feeling like you're in a season of testing. That's what I thought. That God is with you in this, and there's grace for you in this. Uh, another point I want to make is that what you face in these seasons and the places you experience in God, um, in his nature, and, and like we can have mental ascensions to God, like God's a healer, and we actually believe that, but all we know it is mentally, like uh, intellectually. Um, but then there's an experiential knowledge. Do, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Have you feel like you've experienced that? Um, you know, hearing about an aspect of God and then experiencing it and what that brings to your life and that authority and that power it also brings to your life. And one, it says, it, it, one place in the time of testing, you get to reveal God. There is really an obligation to you guys. If you're in the world, if you're in the workplace and you're around unbelievers all the time, when pressure is mounting and everything's going haywire around you, what are the people around you seeing? How are they, you know, how are they seeing you respond to these situations? It's one of the greatest areas of witness from your life is the day in and day out and just how you're acting, how you're talking, how you're not engaging on certain things, um, and just your character. And as you go through, it's one of the things you guys need to regard, we need, we need to regard at the highest level is um, how we're revealing Jesus when the pressure is the most. Where things are bearing down on us and our emotions are going crazy and we feel failure and all these things. Um, God will honor the sacrifice of holding your tongue. <laughs> For real. I think that's something that Jesus loves so much, is when you don't say something, when you're about to say it, and he tells you to stop, and you do. I feel like I felt the pleasure of God on that place. <laughs> For real, over so many other things. like Because it's so easy just to be unbridled and to engage in gossip, backbiting, slander, judgment. This person does this, this, and, and all, you know, the worst thing about us Christians, I'm sorry, I'm going to go go here for a second. <laughs> I said us, is that we justify with scripture. Like, we like, we like can take certain just nasty threads that come through our lives at different times, and we, we talk about it with certain levels of justification because of scripture. 
I don't feel like we need to get into that because you know exactly what I'm talking about. God hasn't called us just to scrape by in our, in our trials. He's, he's calling us to take the posture of James, the considering of pure joy. And then Paul, Paul, when he's saying the momentary light afflictions that we're going through are gaining for us an eternal way to glory. There is a reward. Every, every sacrifice you make for God, every stance, every time you say yes to him, every time you say no to other things, that there is a record of that taking place, it says in Malachi. And um, there's a book of remembrance, and he will reward he will reward you for this stance. And life is short. I, I've said it a million times. My, she's 97 years old, grandmother uh, of mine. I said, you know, what's something that you can give me, you know, for my generation, my age? Like, what would you say? What's something valuable? And she, the things that come out of her mouth, she's, uh, what's that called? When you, Alzheimer's. So she, she, she says some wild things. Uh, but then she says, like, the most profound things. It's like, whoa, knock you off your socks. And the simplest thing she said to me, but it, it, it embedded itself in my heart. She said, Noah, let your life count for something. Don't be at the end of your life wishing that you had done more. And I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> Amen. Right? That's 97-year-old. She's, she's seen a lot. And that's her one thing. Don't live with regret at the end of your life. And there's a reality, Ravenhill, we talked about it last night, prayer. How are we doing on time? We're doing okay, right? Um, Ravenhill, I shared this last night. He, he talked about the day that you see Jesus, the day when you, when you stand before Jesus, because that's going to happen, right? <laughs> the day that we stand before God, right, unveiled, our maker, the one that we're going after, the one that we love, Jesus. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> there's a day coming where we're going to stand before him. Yeah, you can let that sink it right in. <laughs> and Ravenhill had the statement. He said, "You won't regret one thing that you sacrificed for God in your in your day. At the end of your day, when you see His face, there will not be one thing you regret." You guys aren't laughing at me, are you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's saying one, there will not be one regret in your heart when you see the riches of who he is. The sacrifice, the laying down of your dreams, the laying down of, listen, it's not, like I he said this last night too, it's not about making some idealistic Christian walk. And that's what it's supposed to look like. It's about in all seasons, posturing your heart in a manner worthy of the calling that when God speaks in that undeniable voice, you will move at whatever the cost. Live your life, walk, pursue, stay focused, give everything to him. Do everything with excellence in school and at work and with your family. Give everything that you have to this one chance at life you've got. This one short little drop. And you won't regret one minute. I won't regret one minute for one sacrifice, one thing I laid down. Because we're going to see him. Don't miss the purpose of your season because you're so focused on getting out. You know. Ask why. That's an okay question in the season of unknowing and not having a hard time understanding why you're going through the things you're going through. There's a purpose and intention in his heart that he's looking to develop in you. Ask him why. He wants to make his heart known to you. 
Psalms 84, 5 and 7, it says we're on a pilgrimage. It says that he was set on a pilgrimage and he said, I entered into the Valley of Baca and I made it into springs of life. Valley of Baca is a valley of weeping, valley of hardship. And he said he changed it. He went in there in the valley of weeping and through declaration of who God was and, and the, 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 the consistent speaking to his heart of the revelation, this is the way I see it at least, of who Jesus is that you literally can shift seasons or you can create wellsprings of life in that season. Grace, access in that season. Let's get through this a little bit quicker here. Galatians 6 verse 9, it's a great verse. You all know I'm going to read it real quick. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all who are, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Every opportunity. You will reap. You will reap. You will reap. There's, you know, it's, it's, it's just a true fact is that there's going to be more sowing than reaping. But you will reap. There will be a day when you will reap fully. There's going to be a little. There's going to be a level of reaping here now, but there's a reaping that has eternal value that never ends. I wish I had more language for that because that's. I feel like it provides so much grace. Just the limited understanding of our eternal inheritance with Jesus, um, that provides grace that you can make it, that you can go through it. If you, if you. Okay, so I'm just going to read this. i got a paragraph written here. When we receive a promise or prophetic word from God, we often feel like it will happen fully right away. I think we talked about this earlier. Uh, because how clearly he speaks to us. But it is the wisdom of God to lead us into the promise, the process to lead us into the promise, the process in order to mature us. Sometimes God wants us to see how we will respond in conflict of testing. God already knew how Abram was going to respond when he said to sacrifice his son. I think there's value in getting into these crazy times of hardship and responding rightly and things shift immediately. I don't know if some of you have had that happen, but you feel like momentum, everything's going so hard, you're, you're barely scraping by. And then all of a sudden, like the, you felt like there could be no more and like a 20,000-pound thing drops and you're just like, shoot. And you don't know what to do. And you, have a, you can run. You can go to your, your, your little safety net, whether it's sin or whether it's whatever it is. Or you can respond to God and say, God, I don't know what to do here. God, I, I am losing so much hope in, in even trying this anymore, but God, I need your grace. Um, there is something so powerful that we recognize uh, our own resolve within our hearts, that God will show it to us like he showed Abraham. He knew Abraham was going to sacrifice, but in that moment, Abraham knew something, that he would do whatever Jesus asked him to do, whatever God asked him to do. Amen. Don't become stagnant. Pursue in the waiting. Build expectancy. Keep your promises and prophetic words before you. 1 Timothy 2.18, Paul says that to Timothy. Keep the prophetic word of God on your mind. Keep it in a journal. Keep it before you. Your dreams, the things that encourage you so much in the seasons of testing, get them out. Rekindle them. Speak them out. Declare them. It's about cultivating your heart so that you are ready that when he says go. It's not so much about timing. It's about the posture of your heart. Let's, this is one of the biggest statements that I'm about to read here that I felt like this whole message spun off of um, that I received in prayer a few Saturdays ago. It says, let, I feel like it was a phrase the Lord gave me. It says, let us not allow our preconceived ideas of how God should 
or would bring about the promise, deter us when it doesn't play out the way we thought. Humble ourselves. God is God and we are man. We, be, we get a promise and we have a preconceived idea. It's easy to have a preconceived idea of how that's going to play out or when that's going to play out. Or how you think God did it that way in the past, he's going to do it in this future. And we feel let down because it's not happening that way. I feel like God wants to just speak to your heart right now and he's saying, I've, I still have this thing in motion. Just because it's not aligning with your, with your idealistic way that this should happen, I've set it in motion and nothing will stop it. That's, that's a repentance thing. I really believe it is where we repent for our preconceived ideas of who we think God should be when he's not that way. God is preparing his bride for a historic move of the spirit and power. It's tandem with shaking and upheaval. He is raising sons and daughters to stand in humility and steward rightly in proven maturity. Come on, guys. It's, it's what it's about. There's a race. We're running. There's one chance at it. I can't say it enough. We need to embed it upon our hearts. We need to remind ourselves because life is thick. It, it, it surrounds us. It takes over. It tries to just engulf every area of our emotions, our mind, our body, everything. It becomes so important and so demanding. And there's this reoccurring thing we need to do within our, within our hearts. That's why I love J-Hop Hilltop. It's about this place of positioning our hearts in dependency and need before him, in the good and in the bad, and saying, God, whatever you have, whenever you have it, God, here we are. And again, I believe that this move is coming with shaking and upheaval. It is mercy that God would show us that he is the only remedy. If we don't believe it, the testimony, uh, oh yeah, it's his mercy that God would show us that he is the only remedy. If we don't believe it initially, like from sermons like this. You know, I think God's constantly trying to navigate us to the place of real, for real dependency. That he is the remedy for this generation. He is the remedy, the bigger picture thing, that he is the answer for the heart cry right now. And it's mercy that he would show us, even if it means conflict or hardship. It's like it said, I read it, I think last time I preached, Second Chronicles, the last chapter, he talks about, you know, by, in mercy, in compassion, I sent prophetic word to you again and again to turn from your ways, but you didn't listen. So I brought calamity. But the calamity wasn't to wipe them out, it was to direct them. It was to bring them back to a place of calling on his name. Because there was so much mixture happening in the body of Christ in that day. I think it parallels this day. And I, one last statement is testimony. Let the testimony, it's a prayer of my life. Let the testimony of the last church be that of the first. That's us, guys. I believe that. But we need to live it. I mean, Paul was calling for the people in his day of the first church to live like they're the last church. So we need to live in the same posture that Paul exhorted them in. Live like you're in the last days. We are in the end days. Live with a posture of urgency, with a posture of humility and dependence upon God. Live in the posture of expectation that he is looking to pour out his spirit and that he is looking to move in great, great signs and wonders, I believe. Amen. Amen. And we can, we can pray. I don't know, Daryl, if you have anything to add. Fizzy, can you play piano a little bit? Why don't we stand up? Um, like I said at the beginning of the service, was that this this message would go beyond um, would go beyond a message.